0: Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us. That means if you've never been to church, if you walked away from church, or have struggled to find a church home, we were started for you. For more information about Collective and how to join us on a Sunday morning, please head to www.mycollective.church. So last week was the first Sunday that I wasn't here at Collective ever. Most of you didn't notice, which is a really good thing, Uh, but Collective is a 45-week-old church, and while I haven't preached every Sunday since we launched in September, I've been here every Sunday at 7 or 8 a.m. with our team. And so last week, our amazing team and our incredible leader stepped up so my wife and I could go uh, to church at one of our supporting churches and have a Sunday as a family. And it was great. I'm so thankful for all the people who make this church special to know that I don't have to be here for this community to still exist and for this church to still be who they are. I did hear, however, that C.T. preached last week and talked about how much he hates dogs. Clearly, something is wrong with C.T. because he hates dogs. It is real, by the way. I have, like, the most adorable dog on the planet, and every time he's like, get away from me. But he does. He hates dogs. So in order to make up for C.T.'s hatred of dogs, we're going to spend the next 30 minutes watching dog videos on YouTube. We can check that out. It's good. Come on. Like, how do you not love dogs? No, I'm just kidding, you guys can take that off, you can take that off. To be honest, some of you are too okay with watching 30 minutes of dog videos on YouTube right now. You can go home and do that later, come on. Just Google dog and it, it's insane. I watch probably like 50 dog videos to find that one. Because <laughs> I love dogs, that's what normal people do, CT. So being a new church, and more specifically, we are a portable church, we don't have an office for Collective. And so our goal one day is to have an office, but in order to save some money, I spend my days at local coffee shops. On any given day, you'll find me at the Starbucks on 7th Street. I'll spend time at the Mount Airy Starbucks. I'll even drive all the way out to Hagerstown to work from a Starbucks there. The added bonus about Hagerstown is I get to go to Mission Barbecue, which I think is like the best restaurant ever. But yeah, see, (laughs) we'll clap for that, whatever. (laughs) Clap for whatever we want. But one of the struggles that I have with working out of coffee shops is that I can't help but watch people. I am a people watcher. I'll sit with my headphones on and my computer in front of me, but it's easy to get distracted and start watching people when they come in and out of Starbucks. A lot of times I'll actually have headphones in and not be listening to anything because I'm watching people, but I want them to think I'm working. (laughs) And if you hang out at Starbucks enough, you're gonna see some weird stuff. On a regular basis, there's a guy that comes into the Starbucks uh, on Monocacy, and he stands in the corner of the coffee shop. He pulls out a flute and he plays. Sometimes it's patriotic music. One time it was the theme from Zelda. Sometimes it's classical music. And he plays. He puts his flute away. He leaves, and everybody acts like this is normal, but it's awkward. One time I was sitting outside of a Starbucks when I watched two people, presumably friends, have an incredibly uncomfortable situation or uncomfortable conversation. The woman, you could tell, was going through a divorce, and the guy asked her how she was doing, and she explained that she was doing well. She was going back to school for nursing, and while this woman started to spill her guts about finding identity with middle school kids now that she was single, the guy interrupted her and said, you look good. I bet you've been working out. (laughs) The woman paused for a second, stared at him, and just walked away. It was so awkward. It was, like, right in front of me, too, by the way. It wasn't like I was, like, watching from afar. I'm, like, sitting here, and he's right here. Also, guys, don't do that. And I, I believe in you, just don't, just don't do that. I've seen college kids sleeping on couches. I've watched a couple make out on the seats while being surrounded by other people. There's even a guy that regularly hangs out at a local Starbucks, connects to their internet, and plays video games online, headset and all, and he'll start screaming at what's going on. And you look and it's like, oh, it's just a guy playing video games. And so today, we're continuing our series called Roots, where we are learning about the church and specifically, we're learning about how the church started and why the church does what it does. Now, collectively, Collective, we believe the best place to look for how to be a church and how to follow Jesus is the Bible. Makes sense. And specifically, the best place for us to start is the book of Acts. And because that is where we, we see the church start, that's where the church begins as we know it. That's where the church has its roots. And so today, we are talking about the topic of baptism, And baptism can seem or feel like an awkward thing. Baptism means to be immersed in water as a response to faith in Jesus. We do it in a trough on stage, which can be awkward. And so baptism happens, you get up out of the water and you're soaked. And if you've never seen a baptism before, if you have, it can kind of be this awkward event that people celebrate. But in order to learn why the church celebrates baptism and why it's important, We have to go back to its roots. We have to go back to the first church and back to the book of Acts. So baptism in general is mentioned over 100 times in the Bible. Baptism is also a polarizing topic in the church. If you've been going to church at any point in your life, you know that this can be a really tough topic to talk about. And the reason why is because it's awkward if you don't explain it the exact right way. Or, just to be honest, it can be awkward, because I know that there are people at Collective that will disagree about baptism and its role and its importance in the church. But when something is mentioned over 100 times in the Bible, we have no choice but to look at it, because the other option is to ignore it and write off a whole chunk of the Bible, and specifically write off a whole chunk of what the church started to look like and how the church began. And so I know from experience that this is a touchy subject for a lot of people, A lot of you were baptized a certain way or you've seen it done a certain way. And you might not really even care about Jesus anymore or maybe at some point you decided to kind of walk away from it, but you're here exploring. But at some point in your life, you went through a religious rite. And if somebody's gonna talk bad about that, you're ready to throw down. Or your great-grandma was the holiest person you'd ever known. She was baptized a certain way. So if anyone's going to question your great-grandma, then you just write them off. So let me ask before we actually begin today, Please don't make this about your great-grandma, who is a holy person and loved Jesus and is probably with him right now. Because there are a lot of hypotheticals that we can get into with this topic. But the Bible says that God is just. And so I'm confident that God is big enough to figure out all of the hypothetical questions that our puny human brains have running around in them. So for today, as we talk about this topic, let's just make this about you, about a step that you need to wrestle with, about what you are going to do, or what you are not going to do. My goal today isn't to tell you my opinions on baptism. You'll probably be able to figure out where I stand because I go back to the book of Acts and what they taught is what we wanna teach here at this church, but this is not me soapboxing. My goal is to go back to the beginning and learn what scripture teaches. Just like every topic in this series, we're focusing on the first church, the group of people that watched Jesus live, die, and resurrect from the dead and their response to that. Their response to that was the church, and their actions that they took place when they started this church and impacted the community are what we want to model ourselves after. So when talking about baptism, that's where we start. So at Collective, the Bible is our authority. It's not a pastor, it's not a denomination, it's not tradition, it's what does the Bible say. Now, sometimes following the Bible goes along with our lives already. We are living a certain way, we find out that's what the Bible teaches, and we think, great, I wanna do my life like that anyways. But there are times in our lives when the Bible contradicts what we have done, haven't done, or are doing in the present, and so we have to wrestle with that. We have to ask ourselves, am I going to live that way, or the way that culture wants, or even the way that I want, or am I going to do what Scripture teaches? And so what does Scripture teach us about baptism in the church? And more importantly, why do we get baptized? Why do we celebrate this thing? In Acts 2, uh, which we've been in for this whole series, we'll be in for the next few weeks as we look at how this church began. In Acts 2, a crowd is gathered in Jerusalem. And so Peter, one of Jesus' followers, teaches thousands of people about the fact that Jesus died on a cross, the fact that he was buried for three days, and then rose from the grave. And Peter's not just talking from theory or something he heard, he's talking from something that he saw. He's sharing with them the story of Jesus from his own perspective. And Peter teaches these people that Jesus did this. He died and resurrected from the dead so that that he can take on the punishment that we deserve because of our sin. Peter teaches that Jesus did this so that we can receive grace, that Jesus did this so that we can be forgiven, that Jesus did this so that we can be made new. And this is what happened, Acts 2, starting verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So they ask, what do we do? And Peter says, here's, here's, here's your next step. Like, you believe? Let's do this. And that's what, exactly what they did. In Acts 2.41, the story continues. It says, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So here in this book and in this story, this is the very first account of baptism in the history of the church. Baptism was talked about before, it was something that we see before, but this is the first time it's ever mentioned with this idea of church being connected to it. And this answers the question, why do we do it? We get baptized because it is the union of our heart and our actions as we give our life to Jesus. Now, throughout Christian history, People have gravitated toward one or the other of these. They'll either gravitate towards baptism or they'll gravitate toward faith, right? If you've been in church at any time, you know the argument. Everybody just goes back and forth, stares at each other a bunch, yells a bunch of things. Nobody ever makes a decision. That's kind of what the church has done for a very long time. And so if you were raised in certain traditions, you know that the early church, the the beginning, a few hundred years after this, leaned heavily toward baptism. This is why churches started baptizing babies. But in order to understand why they did that, you have to understand the cultural background of why this happened. And so I'm going to give you a little bit of history of why infant baptism started in the church. Infant baptism did not gain wide acceptance until the time of Augustine, who was a pastor and a theologian, which was about 400 years after Jesus resurrected from the dead. Augustine took the position that infants are born sinners, So in Augustine's mind, he read scripture and he decided that he thought that all children, no matter one day old or however old they are, like it didn't matter, they they were sinners. They were sinful beings. And so when Augustine presented this to churches, churches started looking around and realizing at that time, infant mortality was over 50%. And so their thought, the church's thought was, if there's a 50-50 shot that my baby won't live to see their second birthday, I wanna baptize him or her as quickly as I can so that if they die they'll be with Jesus. And that's how infant baptism was actually introduced to the church. It's not from scripture. Augustine's assumptions about children being born with sin is a misinterpretation and something that he twisted, but it's not from scripture. It's not from the example that the early church set, it was out of fear. So here's this tradition that started 400 years after Jesus resurrected from the dead, 400 years after the church had already started, that church has decided, we're afraid, so this is what we're going to do. Fast forward to the 16th century when the Reformation begins, people like John Calvin and Martin Luther came along. Calvinism, Lutheranism, if you've heard of those. And they focused on what was taught in the book of Romans in the Bible that says, it is by faith that we are saved. And so they read this verse in Hebrews 11 where it says, faith is what pleases God. And they thought, wait a second, a baby can't have faith. In fact, even an adult can get baptized and still not have faith. So the reformers swung the pendulum completely to the other side and they said it was only about faith. It was all about your heart and that your actions mean nothing. And so you have these two groups of people who argue we're right and you are wrong. No, we're right and you are wrong. One group says it's all about baptism and the other one says it's all about faith. Some of you have been to those churches before. But I think from reading Acts 2, Peter teaches that it's about both. It's about your heart and your actions. It's about faith and actions because your actions reveal the faith that you do or do not have in fact that's why peter teaches us to submit to christ action and repent action to turn away from the sins and move toward god with our hearts we are baptized to show with our actions that we are giving our lives to jesus this is why james writes in james 2 faith by itself if it's not accompanied by action is dead but someone will say you have faith i have deeds Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. So baptism is a joining of your actions and your heart. And so if that's why we do it, how do we do it? This is something that churches argue about all the time. Sticking in the book of Acts, we move a little bit forward in Acts 8. Again, the church is moving. At this point in Acts 8, churches are being started. It's starting to scatter all through the land. And we have more examples of people giving their life to Jesus and so in Acts 8, there's an awesome story about a follower, named, uh, follower of Jesus named Philip and his interaction with an Ethiopian eunuch. Two quick notes about this man. Many Christians believe that this man, the Ethiopian, is how the gospel spreads to the entire continent of Africa, that this Ethiopian person hears the gospel and heads home and shares it with everyone. And church history tells us that he might have been the catalyst for Christianity in Africa. The second thing about him is that he's a eunuch. If you don't know what a eunuch is, ask your neighbor. Now, throughout, oh, sorry, sorry, I preach at churches sometimes, and I some, for some reason, I've always been given the topic where I'll teach on, like, circumcision, I don't know why, again, if you don't know that, talk to you, the person next to you, and so I always do this thing where, like, when they give me that topic, I'm like, uh, email your pastor, here's his email address, it gets really weird, don't email me about it, talk amongst you what a eunuch is, I'm not interested in knowing. So in Acts 8, Philip bumps into this Ethiopian eunuch who's reading an Old Testament prophecy. He's reading the Old Testament. He's reading about Jesus. And this is how the story goes. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here is water What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. The Ethiopian learns about Jesus' love for him, about redemption, about grace, about forgiveness, and he believes. And so he joins his faith with actions, and he's baptized. And what's really important, is says that he actually went down into the river, And the reason why they did this is because the word in Scripture in Greek, which is what the New Testament is written in, is this word baptizo. Baptizo is the Greek word for baptism. And this word literally means to plunge under water, to dip, as if you were like dying cloth, or to immerse in water. And so traditionally, when the Bible is being translated from Greek to English, it's a word-for-word translation. And so, for example, if Jesus says, I am, in the Greek, it'll say, ego, I me. So in English, it's translated, I am. But for some reason, when they came to this word, baptizo, they decided to transliterate it. And they made this new word. Before the Bible was written in English, this word baptism wasn't a word. And so instead of translating it immerse, they decided, we'll call it baptism, because they wanted to make it exactly how it sounds. So instead of translating it immerse or donk or plunge, it's written as baptize. But every time you read the words, baptize, baptize, baptism, baptizing, it's a reference to full immersion in water. In case you're wondering if the word baptizo can also mean sprinkle, there's a completely different word for that in the Greek, and the word is never actually used in any of the stories of people giving their life to Jesus. When I was in college, to understand even better what the Bible was talking about uh, when it came to the word baptizo and other things in in Scripture, we looked at Greek literature, stuff that was written before biblical times, stuff that was written before the Bible. And we actually looked at an account of a naval battle, and in this story, there were two ships in a naval battle, and the one who won was writing an account back to Rome, talking about what had happened, saying what, what they did. And in the letter, it said that they baptizeded the other ship after a long battle. They baptized the ship. So what does this mean? It doesn't mean they rode up next to it, they splashed it with some water, they made some waves. It means they sunk it. They immersed it. They put that ship at the bottom of the sea. They won the battle. That's what it means to baptize. Paul writes in Romans 6, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too live a new life. If you sprinkle someone with water, if you just pour a few drops on their head, this imagery doesn't make any sense. This idea goes away. This verse ends up meaning nothing. And I know that a lot of you were raised in different traditions where this was not how baptism was practiced, where it was full immersion in water. And you're thinking, why did my group do it differently? And to be honest, I don't know the answer to that. I don't know why some churches at some point decide to walk away what scripture teaches and decide, let's follow what this guy Augustine says, or follow 1,600 years later and go, this guy. I don't fully understand why that happened, but my encouragement to you is if you are in that place and you're struggling with this idea and you're wrestling with this, which I know a lot of you are, I would encourage you to go back and ask your former priest or pastor or even your grandma why they did it differently. Because in the early church, they did it one way and one way only. And so, why people would change that, I just don't know. One of the questions I get all the time from people uh, when we talk about baptism or even when we celebrate it people ask me, My parents had me sprinkled when I was a baby, should I be immersed? And I believe that you should do what the people in the early church did when they accepted Jesus as their Lord. So if you're asking my opinion, yes, I do think you should be immersed. Something that often comes up with that is, my parents went through this important thing when I was a child, won't that invalidate that? If I'm being honest, I don't think so. Your parents knew when they had you sprinkled that at some point in your life, you had to choose for yourself whether to follow Jesus or walk away. They sprinkled you because they were saying that their hope was that one day you would follow him that they were gonna raise you in a way where you could experience grace and truth, where you can see who Jesus truly was. But your parents knew as a baby they can't give you faith, that this thing wasn't some magical moment where as you became an adult, you chose to follow Jesus. In fact, a lot of you are here and you might've experienced as a kid, and you're saying, I'm not sure I believe, which is just further proof to that. But nevertheless, we struggle with it and people say, I don't know if I can make this decision for myself because my parents made it for me when I was a kid. And so they'll ask, if I get immersed now, am I going against the decision that they made? But what I would say is I think it's affirming the decision that they made. It's showing them that you are fulfilling the desire that they had on your life when you were a child. It's not going against what they taught. It's affirming that they raised you in the right way. And I think any parent would be proud of that. And so this scripture teaches us uh, why we get baptized. It teaches us how we get baptized. So the next question is, when do we do it? Again, continuing in Acts, continuing in this beginning of the church. In Acts 16, two followers of Jesus named Paul and Silas are in jail. And while in jail, there's a powerful earthquake that opened all the doors to the jail and actually broke the shackles off all the prisoners. And upon seeing this, the jailer took out his sword in order to kill himself because he thought all the prisoners had left. Because he knew that if all the prisoners had left, he'd be executed anyways, so it was better to take his own life. But the story continues in Acts 16, starting in verse 28. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for the lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. And so catch this. Baptism was so important. Baptism was something that they, they wanted so badly for people to take that step in that the first time this jailer actually hears the message about Jesus and believes that he has faith, the first moment that it actually clicks, he goes out after midnight with his entire family And gets baptized. And so here's the thing. If you believe, if you have faith, when do you do it? Now. You don't wait. You don't let anything get in your way. You find water and you get immersed. And throughout the entire book of Acts, there are nine recorded conversions. And people who once didn't believe in Jesus accepting grace and forgiveness and letting Jesus be the leader of their life. There's nine of those. And all of them begin with faith in Jesus and all of them end with baptism into Jesus, every single one of them. Now, when talking about baptism, some people will say, I can point to this one verse here that doesn't mention baptism. And so what are they asking when they say that? What essentially they're saying is, doesn't that mean it's not part of it? Right? Like, we'll read it, and we'll read a little bit later, and we'll say, hey, this isn't mentioned, so therefore I don't think it's important. But I don't think that's the case, and here's why. When I was in college, baptism was actually a topic that we discussed a lot, Uh, So I went to a small Christian liberal arts school in Johnson City, Tennessee, and there are people from all different backgrounds. It wasn't just you know the non-denominational church. It was people from everywhere. And so upon like experiencing that, I decided to spend my next four years of college writing all of my papers on baptism, church history, baptism, Greek baptism, Acts baptism. But it was an illustration from my professor that really made it all click for me. One afternoon we were discussing the topic when he asked me, "When is someone officially married?" He says, is it when the preacher says, I now pronounce you husband and wife? Is it when you sign the marriage license? Is it when you consummate the marriage on your wedding night? When would you say that someone is married? And so my first response was, well, it has to be when you sign the license, because that's when it's legal. And that's when he responded, you're right, in some context. But he went on to explain that in many cultures a marriage isn't legal until it's consummated. You can have a ceremony, you can have pronouncement, you can sign the paperwork. But until the two become one, if you know what I mean, it isn't recognized. There are even some cultures that it's not recognized until a religious leader recognizes the marriage inside that community. And his point to that was they all matter. They're all important. They all play a part. And so in the Bible, we don't pick and choose. You don't say, here's one verse to prove my point, and here's another one. We say, what do they all say? Let's just do all of it. In fact, if baptism was mentioned one time it would be something that we should submit to. But we read and we know it's mentioned over 100 times. So, when should you do it? When you accept Jesus as your Lord. That's why we don't baptize babies here, because they can't make that decision. That's why we don't actually baptize young kids here, because they don't know what they're doing. In fact, if someone in elementary school wants to get baptized, it's required that we sit down together and we have a conversation. We talk about the step that they're taking. They're even given homework because we want to make sure that they understand what baptism means. And so now some of you are sitting here and you're struggling a little bit because you love Jesus and you've been following Jesus for a long time, but you've never been baptized. And you would say that you've accepted Christ, but you put this thing off. Maybe you grew up in a church that didn't do it. Maybe at some point you went to a church that did and you just were wrestling with it. You would say that you've repented, you've trusted Jesus with your life, but you haven't been baptized. What should you do? And so I think the baptism of Jesus applies in this sense. So Jesus was baptized. And, and I would just go back. I think there's, a, there's one kind of argument that kind of, trumps them all is Jesus was baptized and Jesus says, follow me. And so I think from the baseline, that's where it is. But this is what Jesus's baptism was like in Matthew 3. It says, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? And this makes sense. John's hesitation makes sense. Because if anyone didn't need to repent, and if anyone didn't need to be baptized, it was Jesus. He was perfect. But Jesus replied, Let it be so now, it is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. So what Jesus is saying that this should be done so we can carry out all that God asks, all that God requires. And so if you love Jesus, but you've put off baptism, I believe that scripture is clear and that it's showing you that you should be immersed to carry out all that God requires. One of our first baptisms at Collective was in Lake Linganore, and it was John Klein. I didn't tell him, I didn't tell him ahead of time. I was telling this story. So, um, John is the bearded guy who's been leading us with, in worship, and John loves Jesus. Uh, he grew up in a good church. He started following Jesus at a very young age. He was heavily involved when he was in high school and college, and when the topic of baptism got brought up, he mentioned that it was something that he'd never done. And so we had this conversation about taking that step, not because John didn't love Jesus, but because of obedience. And to be honest, it's one of the best moments we've had at Collective because John was baptized and then stayed in the water and baptized his wife, Tabby, that same day. And for some of you, you just need to be obedient. That's all it comes down to. And so the question is, what are you waiting for? What's holding you back? Because I know that some of you are arguing with me in your heads right now. I know, I can see it on your faces. It's okay. Okay. I'm not offended. But what you're really doing is you're arguing with Scripture. You're arguing with God. There's nothing that we've said today that you can't go back and read on your own and you would have to wrestle with on your own. But what you're really doing is you're kind of having that tension in your head and you're saying, this isn't what I believe. This is something different. I'm struggling with this. And so some of you need to wrestle with right now. Like, why won't you take that step? Why won't you get baptized? For some of you, the reason is pride. You want to be right in your view of baptism and how you've been living your life. So to be immersed right now would be to admit that maybe you had an inaccurate or potentially incomplete understanding of scripture in the past, and you just don't want to do that. In fact, your pride makes some of you embarrassed. You love Jesus. you followed Jesus for a long time, so you're afraid that getting baptized means that your love for Jesus is inadequate, but it's just not true. It means you're more like Apollos in Acts 18, There's a story, again, later on in the beginning of the church, Acts 18, starting in verse 24. It says this Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures, a thorough knowledge of the Old Testament. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he only knew the baptism of John. And so, what does this mean? It means that he'd been baptized under the authority of John the Baptist. And that was before Jesus died on a cross. That was before he resurrected from the dead. That was before that power was given. It was before all of those things where it really started to change the culture and start Christianity and change the church. And so at that time, it was a ritual that signified just a general submission to God. It wasn't actually submitting to Jesus. And so when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him into their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. So here's Apollos, who only knew the baptism of John, And Priscilla and Quilla take the time to explain it better. It means that they were talking to him about the actual baptism of trusting and following and putting Jesus as your leader and your Lord. But this whole story is about a missionary that had come from Egypt all the way to Ephesus in order to preach the gospel, to tell the good news of Jesus. This guy is sold out for following Jesus. No one has any doubts about that. But they tell him, you should know this other version. This is the right way. Jesus took it a step further. It's no longer an outward showing of submission to God. It's a response to faith in Jesus and obedience to him. And Apollos' response wasn't embarrassment. It wasn't that he was too proud. In Corinthians 1, in the Bible, we actually read that he was willing to be corrective and even taught the right baptism. And occasionally, I get the question that reveals someone's pride when it comes to this. I get asked, do I have to be baptized? When I hear this question, I do my best to be patient. I'm not very good at that. You can see it on my face. I do my best to smile and be polite. But to be honest, on the inside, I'm dying. Because when we ask, do I have to get baptized? I think God, I think our Father in heaven wants to say, please don't. That if you're asking if I have to, just don't. Because God would say he sent his son who bled and died and suffered for us. And if it's inconveniencing us by being immersed, then just don't do it. But pride gets in the way. Pride says, I'm not going to do that awkward thing. Pride says, I don't need that. Pride says, I'm embarrassed. Pride says, it would look weird if I got baptized because I already love Jesus. Pride says, that's not for me. Pride says, maybe next time. Jesus says, everyone who humbles themselves will be exalted, and everyone who exalts themselves will be humbled. Baptism is a humbling experience. But I think that's exactly how God wanted it to be. And if pride is keeping you from getting baptized, get over yourself. Get on your knees and beg God to forgive you and give you life that he promises. Pride isn't the only thing that's stopping you from getting baptized. One of the reasons that you won't get baptized is the pain in your life. You fully understand what the Bible teaches and that it's a physical representation of you giving your life to Christ. And you come here every week for maybe some inspiration or help in your life or practical advice. But you don't want God to take control because you are not sure you can trust him because of the pain that you've experienced. And I would just implore you to understand that Jesus is not the one hurting you. Jesus is with you, and he's hurting with you. That pain you have experienced is not God. It's the result of a broken and fallen world. So for those of you who are in pain, I would ask, will you just call on Jesus? One of his names is the great physician. He wants you to experience peace and healing and life. The next group of you that won't get baptized is for opposite reasons. It isn't pain, but pleasure. You're having fun, and you don't want to give up your lifestyle. You understand what it means to get baptized because it means you accept Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, your forgiver and your leader, and you want that grace part. You want forgiveness. I think if we're all being honest, that's the stuff that we love about Jesus. But we don't want the Lord part. You're not interested in making Jesus your leader. You're not interested in putting him in charge. You're having too much fun, too good of a time. You won't get baptized because you don't want to stop sleeping around with the girls that you meet online. You won't get baptized because of, that, because of your addiction, and it really is the Lord over you, and you're not sure you can walk away from the drugs and alcohol to let Jesus be your Lord. Some of you just don't want to get da- baptized because you don't want to have to come face-to-face with the sin that's your life, because you enjoy it, you love it. If I'm being honest, there's a part of me that wants to talk you out of that lifestyle, talk you into following Jesus. But here's what happens when the emotion of this moment fades and when the emotion of you getting out of that water goes away, eventually you'll turn your back, you'll turn back to pleasure. And you'll end up turning your back on Jesus. So I don't want to talk you out of your lifestyle. I just want to remind you that the Bible describes God as a father with a runaway child. And that father is standing on the porch waiting for that lost child to come home. And so whenever your pleasure turns to pain, or wears off, or turns to emptiness, because it inevitably will. We want you to know that God is waiting for you with open arms, and so when you're ready to truly repent and give him the keys to your life, he'll be there. Now, I'm not trying to convince you that someone is wrong and someone is right. That's not the goal of the sermon, It's not the goal of this series, that's not why we're doing Roots. But the goal is to go back to the first church, to follow the truest example that we have. The people who were with Jesus saw him die and resurrect, and their response was to give their lives to him. This group of people, this church in the book of Acts, are the best representation of how we should live our lives and what the church should look like. So baptism is a gift. It's where we draw a line in the sand. And if baptism is just a theological conversation that takes place among the already convinced, then we miss the point. But if it is part of a message that we're holding out to the world that proclaims grace grace, and hope, and truth, then it's something that we're called to be passionate about. That's why we talk about baptism here at Collective. That's why we're going to celebrate baptism today. In just a few moments, we're going to celebrate communion. And after that, we're going to sing one more song. And during that time, there are going to be multiple people who get immersed in that water. Here's what I want to end with today. I want to end with words from Paul. Paul, who persecuted Christians, Paul, who hated the church, but was someone who experienced Jesus and accepted the grace that he offers and was baptized. Here's what he says in Acts 22. He says, And now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. And so, what are you waiting for? What is standing in your way? You don't have to be perfect, you don't have to have all the answers. You just have to be willing to receive grace, to receive forgiveness, and let Jesus be the Lord of your life. And it really is that simple. And so if you're ready, the question is, why wait? This is not something that we usually do at Collective, uh, but we're gonna do it today. If you are ready today, do it. We don't do altar calls. We'll probably never do this again. But if we're gonna talk about baptism, and some of you have been wrestling and praying about this and seeking out scripture and seeking out advice, and some of you are in that place, do it. We actually have a change of clothes for you. I sent out our intern this morning to buy shorts and we have t-shirts. And So there's nothing standing in your way from taking the step if that's where you are. You can join other people who are getting baptized today. You're not alone. It's not a trick. We're not saying people are getting baptized and in a second no one's doing it and we're waiting for you. <laughs> but here's what I would say. In this church, at, at Collective Church right now, you are surrounded by a group of people who are here for you and rooting for you. They want what's best for you. They want you to experience life to the fullest, and they want to be in this community together. And so if you're here today and you're wrestling with that and something clicked or something made sense or there's something that you're ready to do, in a few moments I'm going to pray, and then during communion just stand up, go out to the the lobby, meet the other people that are going to make that decision today, and let's do it together. But The real thing that you have to wrestle with is what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. Let's pray. God, thank you for the first church. Um, God, thank you that we have an example. Um, God, to be honest, thank you that we don't have to rely (laughs) on people who hundreds of years later decided to change things. Um, God, that people hundreds of years later had a different opinion or had a different thought or even, to be honest, the politics of church. God, that we can just go back to the beginning. We can see what was done and we can say that. That's what we're going to do. That's how we're going to celebrate. That's how we're going to move. That's how we're going to be a church. That's how we're going to love this community. And that's how we're going to celebrate life and new life in you. God, I pray for the people today that are wrestling with that decision or grew up in a church that taught something different. God, that ultimately they, they seek you in this and they read scripture in this and they ask questions in this. But God, ultimately that this doesn't become a topic that separates people and pushes people away or makes people feel uncomfortable. But, but God, honestly, that we all know that this is the safest place to be as we work through those things. God, there's no better place to be than your church. And so God, I pray Collective can be that church. We all grew up differently. We experienced different things. We know different things. We learn different things. But God, no matter what, this is the safest place for us to be to wrestle with small decisions and big decisions like baptism. God, thank you that your desire is to make us new, to wash us clean, to give us a new identity. We no longer have to pay the debt for our own sin, but God, you take that from us. And God, ultimately, that we get to celebrate that a little bit later today with baptism. God, we thank you for the ways that you love us and care for us and the way that you sent your son to die for us. We pray these things in your name. Amen.